Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. My name is Brad Roll, and this is episode 1183 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. For the first time, we're actually doing this on video as well. And to commemorate the, this fine edition, I am joined by Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Hello, sir. How are you? Good, Brad. How are you doing? I'm glorious. Uh, my apologies to everyone that's, uh, that's both watching on YouTube and also listening to this podcast. This is the first one of these. I promise it will not be as clunky in the future, but I am trying to figure out this. I teased this earlier in the week and uh, already have been begging for people to follow the YouTube channel. But basically, once this is up and running... Nothing will be different other than you will be able to watch me if you'd like to on YouTube and also see Glenn's shining face on this episode. Uh, Who wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. With that out of the way, Glenn, uh, number one, thank you for joining me. And number two, we should talk about some basketball because uh, this is the All-Star break. It's kind of funny to be recording at this time. In fact, we're going to be recording this pretty much during the Rising Stars Challenge, and I know you're heartbroken by that. Uh, that's happening right now. What, what are we doing? I have to stop. Or, no, I, it's totally, totally fine. I had no plan to take that in. I, if if, I, if one of the Hawks were playing and if a Congo was playing, I'd probably watch it just uh, out of a sense of duty, if nothing else. But um, I think I'm going to skip that one and get to start my break t- tonight. Yeah, same. I would have been watching uh, intently had a Kongwu been involved or anybody else on the Hawks roster. But for the purposes of, the po- of this podcast, it's the All-Star break. And I want to talk about some recent stuff for the Hawks as well as some big picture stuff as well. You know, in the last week or so, they had a bad loss to San Antonio. They blew a winnable game in Boston. that They were winning at halftime, etc. Then they had a kind of a pretty awesome win against Cleveland and then a pretty sort of hold serve kind of win against Orlando. So a two and two week is kind of just fine. Could have been three and one, maybe even four and oh, if things had gone differently. Uh, I'll ask you to, I guess, just in the, in the narrow scope, what you saw in the last week, and then we can kind of zoom out from there. Yeah, I mean, if we kind of work backwards, uh, only in a sense that, um, you know, I thought all the habits that we want to see from them showed up in the Orlando game. You know, I, I thought all the defensive habits were there. And um, in a way that doesn't seem impressive because they're playing one of the, the worst teams in the league. Um, but that's been the setting for when we see them kind of come in and, and sleepwalk through a game or, you know, go through with 70% or 80% or whatever kind of number you want to apply there. Um, and you just hope that that stuff sticks. Going back to Cleveland, um, the big takeaway for me there was that when you play DeAndre Hunter at the four, it's hard to put him on Darius Garland in that game. They didn't really have another solution there. Um, that's a, one of the impacts of them not having found the deal to make it the deadline that might have added some some more depth on the wing, but they produced enough offense in that game. Obviously, that's their forte uh, to get that win. They kind of stuck together, persevered through moments of adversity there, which is good. They haven't always done that this season, and that, I thought that was an important win. Um, the I felt like I'm missing one. The the Boston game, if I'm going the reverse order the right way. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought the ball I think Boston the Boston's defense is the best in the league right now. And I thought they just kind of took everything uh the Hawks really wanted to do in terms of their primary stuff on offense kind of away from them and the Hawks just couldn't uh generate enough offense there. They I thought they played 
B plus defense in the in that yeah. game. Um, you know, maybe that third quarter side where Boston put up forty two, and then the Spurs. I thought that was maybe the one game where that's the greatest example of them coming in and kind of ha- taking a game for granted. And you know, I know the Spurs record is not super impressive, but uh, you know, do the Hawks know what their record is? <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And, and on top of that, the Spurs are a very professional team. They're going to come at you with uh, effort, and they're going to try to play kind of to their own standards in terms of getting into the things that they're trying to do. And they just outplayed the Hawks. And sure, DeJounte Murray probably had one of his best games of the season, um, but it's not like that came out of nowhere. The guy's an all-star. He's a legitimate all-star. Uh, and they just like, kind of looked like a team that felt like the win was going to come fairly e- easily there. And it didn't. So I thought the last four games was kind of a, a, a decent kind of sampler of what we had all year long, where sometimes it's like, where's the focus? Where's the energy? And other times, like, okay, here are all the habits that we want to see going forward. You know, what are we going to get? Which version of these ki- uh, Hawks teams we've seen even in the last four games are we going to get going forward? I think that's going to dictate a lot of uh, the outcome of the season for them. I totally agree. In fact, in my in my notes, I was kind of I think I had the word microcosm written down of like of the season <laughs> on the whole because you know all the way down to being 500 in that period of time. This is basically right. a 500 team right now. I mean, I think they're I think they're better than that. I think you may think that as well. But at the same time, that's what they've been to this point. They're even below 500 at this stage. And like the offense was ridiculous in the last two games. They had like a 130 offensive rating in a two in a two game sample. And yeah, one of those games was Orlando, but one of them was Cleveland, and that's a top five defense team in the league. Like they went out and lit them up, and they shot the heck out of the ball. They took care of the ball. They had two point, I think it was like two point two assists per turnover in those two games. And like you know, defensively, like you said, it's it's a mixed bag. I think it's been a little bit better in recent days on the whole compared to recent compared to previous when it was really ugly at times early in the season. But even against Orlando, like they were just okay. I thought defensively, especially when you adjust for the curve that is the Orlando Magic offense, which is not the best unit in the world. So, I mean, I can I can sort of by, day by day, hour by hour, train myself to find the positives. I saw you had some great clips on Jalen Johnson. We can I was, was going to ask you about and stuff like that. Like you could find some encouraging stuff in that film, particularly on the offensive end, the last couple of games. But in general, the, the questions I have are kind of still the same questions, whether it be focus, whether it be just consistency. And then, you know, they, I think it probably feels better for them to close 2-0 and than it would have been. You know, this is a 2-2 two and two stretch over four games. I guess it might have felt better because of the All-Star break to almost lose the first two, win the last two, because then at least you're riding high as you go into the break, a little bit of momentum, all that stuff, if you believe in that kind of thing. I'm not sure where I stand on that, to be honest with you, but the vibes were pretty good after the game on Wednesday, which is a small thing, but also could be meaningful. So I guess um, I was going to ask you about the defense. Let's talk about that for a second as well. Um, What do you make of the defense right now? It's a very broad question, but you talked about Hunter not being able to do all things like people asking me too that same night about why he wasn't guarding, uh, wasn't defending Garland. And it's like, well, he's playing the four for 20 minutes. Right. Like you can't really have your power forward guard Darius Garland for most of the game. The matchups don't really work that way. But at the same time, I think the solutions and rightly so in some respects are like, all right, Hunter's back. So defense is going to be better now. And it has been on some level, but he can't fix every problem. So I'm wondering what you think about the defense overall right now because the numbers are what they are they're a bottom five defense for the season but they probably should be a little bit better than that yeah and i think 
when I get asked a question like this, I always want to remind myself that they don't necessarily need to be a top 10 defense to kind of hit the mark for the goals they have for this year. They're that good offensively. Um, I, I do think they're um, – maybe it's one manifestation of Cam Reddish not working out for this year and not um, still being on the roster in terms of uh, maybe looking at him as a guy who could handle 12 to 15 minutes of – some sort of primary assignment on defense that's gone. That didn't, uh, that, I mean, I don't want to talk like that was there up until the trade. It wasn't, it just didn't kind of manifest, uh, this year, um, and, and work out. And I'm sure that was a, a factor then deciding to kind of finally pull the trigger on that. But right now, when you look at your defensive wings, you really have Hunter and Herder. Um, Trey is, uh, either going to bring enough effort to kind of make enough impact on that end or not. He's not, he doesn't have the kind of the, the, the physical profile and the athletic profile you're looking for. Uh, and he does enough on offense that I, I think that's totally workable. Uh, Clint and Akagu are, I think should be one of the best kind of, um, first and second, uh, line bigs that a team could have in the league. That's not, um, statistically turning into the results they want. And so to me, it really comes down to kind of, can they uh, defend at the point of attack? Can they pressure the ball? Um, and that's been two major issues, probably the, the biggest areas of concern for them across the whole season. And what they have to work with right now is uh, a bogey that's look, looked a little better uh, defensively of recent, but it's really Hunter and Herder. And in my mind, Hunter is better on ball, you know, kind of chasing guys over ball screens, uh, getting into the ball handler. Herder to me is still a guy that's better off ball chasing a Seth Curry type or a Joe Harris type of those, you know, those guys over those off ball screens, whether the flare screens or whatever, he's not uh, so impactful uh, right on ball kind of chasing, you know, primaries over ball screens. And, and so that, you know, in terms of a configuration that's going to work in the starting lineup, that's the way you continue to go with the starting lineup. That's probably what you're set up with. But when either one of those guys goes to the bench, uh, you start really losing what, a little bit you have to work with at the point of attack. And we've, you know, you and I and others have kind of talked all season long when fans have been frustrated with Capella. If you're not strong at the point of attack, I don't care if you have the greatest center in the his defensive center in the history of the league. Um, you take an NBA primary getting downhill to the paint, uh, having had no resistance at the point of attack, the, no one's going to be able to do anything once that person gets there. And that's kind of been what we've seen uh, Capella and Akongwu uh, deal with all year long. So the 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 weapons are what they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about JC here in a little bit, but, you know, if, if one of the solutions to kind of covering those minutes is a slide hundred to the four, then you're going to ask Herter to be the guy who's primarily that on-ball defender, taking that primary and uh, while he was a really impactful defender in the playoffs last year, um, you know, that's, I don't think that's who you're going to get 82 games a season. Like I said, he's much, much better doing things like top blocking or, you know, heading off off ball screens and things like that. So Nate's got to find a way to make the Hunter plus Herder uh, situation work behind those guys. I don't know. Does Knox get some minutes because of his defense? His offense has been terrible. Uh, And and that's uh, accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it makes it hard to maximize what you're trying to do with Trey on the offensive end and things like that. So it's, it's difficult, but I think Trey is what he is. The center play should be easily good enough. And one of the best first and second tandems in the league it's how do you get what you have at the wing to work? How do you get generate enough point of attack defense? How do you generate enough ball pressure? And that's what it's going to kind of come down to. They can kind of push toward being more something closer to an average defense rather than a five defense. 
Yeah, you kind of did the uh, the tease for me because you're a pro, Glenn. But before we uh, <laughs> before I ask you about John Collins and some other stuff, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Football is over for a while. Basketball is still running full steam in both pro and college hoops. And with all the latest odds, totals, player props, futures, and more, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. Beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of the sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And of course, it's not just basketball, even if we love basketball in this space. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, for boxing, UFC, MMA, auto racing, golf, tennis, soccer, horse racing, and everything else you can possibly think of, all the odds for all of that, plus Olympic coverage and information that you need right now. Head to the BetOnline website right now or use a mobile device to, to learn all about the trends and the action and all the odds that are available to you today. Check it out at BetOnline.net, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Glenn, uh, I want to key in on this and i want to stress this now as sort of a disclaimer we do not know that collins is going to be out in fact he could play on thursday and i'm, and I'm not saying otherwise I want, to, I want to repeat that one more time he, john collins could be back on thursday as the hawks return but there's a chance he's not they were pretty vague with it with their description about his uh, about his foot issue that he has he left that spurs game early and i know you watched the tape glenn uh, anybody who watched that tape knows that he was not himself that night he could not really push off couldn't really run um, and then missed the last three games. They clearly could have used him against Boston. Uh, that's a matchup that he's had some success in. Uh, obviously, he, he's, he's good in, in a lot of matchups, but it was pretty glaring to me that night that they could have used him. But regardless, they've been pretty bad defensively on the whole, of course, but they've been much worse when he's not played. Uh, in fact, cleaning the glass has the Hawks with a 116 defensive rating anytime Collins is off the court this year. That's a terrible number, just for everybody to realize. That's, that's a worst-in-the-league kind of number. It's not always him, but um, they've been pretty bad um, with Hunter at the four this season in, in terms of the numbers. And really, anytime Collins is off the floor, it's not great, but especially when you're trying to play small. It's a small sample size for sure. But essentially, my question, and I'll let you go wherever you want with this, is like, what happens if Collins isn't back right away. And like we saw what they did. We kind of know what they did. They, they played Hunter as the backup four, and it was 48 minutes of Gallo Hunter at the four. And Nate kind of mentioned two different times they might play the two bigs and never did it. And then we saw when they were up by 25 on, on Wednesday, they went to Knox in kind of rotation minutes for like five minutes, and that was it. So uh, let's say, just for the hypothetical, let's say Collins misses two more weeks. What would you want to do? What would you want to see – if they didn't have Collins for enough time, just because clearly it's a gaping hole, but nothing, they can't really fix it now in terms of the roster. So like they have to do what they have to do. Yeah. And I think if they, you know, let's say even had three or four more wins than they have now, they might have um, the the tolerance to try to integrate Jalen and get some minutes from him as a four. Um, and I know that the, des- the, desper- the desperation level is there, though. I mean, people always ask. I know people. I'm not trying not try to cut, not to cut not to cut you off, but people sure. always ask all of us about why Jalen's not playing. Right. And I think what you just said is at least part of it. Now, part of it's Nate being stubborn, Nate being Nate, all that stuff. Right. But it's a lot harder to do when they they're all saying it. It's not just Nate; even the players, right. they got to win. They, they feel like they got to win every night, and it's really hard to do that with Jalen. Yeah, they they need to take their best shot every single game the rest of the way, and that's going to make it hard to kind of get anything from Jalen. Now, I know that I, I thought it was only fair for me to put out some examples of the good work he did yeah, in good. the last six minutes or so over the Orlando game, especially as a help defender, being in the right spot, showing up on time. And, and and visibly being able to tell that he was 
anticipating where he needed to be, which is good because it wasn't like, oh no, I got to get over here now. You know, he was he was early, you know, and uh, um, um, and, and uh, detecting where he needed to be, where he would need to move next as a health defender. Now they put him into a pick and roll one time, and it was. A debacle. <laughs> so you know, I, it's one possession. So you, you it, don't. Wanna... It, it was also kind of garbage timey too. So like, it was. I can see why people might have saw, might have seen your clips and been like, <laughs> "Well, this game is over. Like, how much is it? How much does it matter?" But because it's you, I, I knew right away. Like, you're not going to pull stuff that's misleading. Like, it's right. not going to be like, "Oh, Jalen had a nice crossover move with four minutes to go in this garbage time game." Right. It's real stuff that he was doing defensively, which is good. To yeah, see. absolutely. That's well put. Um, but that that the pick and roll, like he did. He didn't communicate. Um, he, he didn't really – it was kind of in, in traffic. It was a kind of a weird setup. It wasn't a super high kind of in space pick and roll. And he cleared out before there was any plan to contain the ball at all. And so when I, when I saw that play, I thought, great that off the ball he's like knows what's coming. He knows where to be. He knows where to move. He's ready to move. That is a massive step forward from where he was a month or two months ago, ever how far back we want to go. If he were to play actual minutes, there is the risk – of that the other team would just put him in the pick and roll, especially if he's playing the four, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to even involve the other team to involve their five or their four in the pick and roll. And I think that would be really problematic. Um, it's a, which is for where he is, that's fine. You know, that's not a, a Jalen issue. That's an issue of the Hawks, not necessarily have a solution. Um, I, I, it's probably premature to jump into it, but yeah, you know, I wonder if they might sign someone. It made no sense to try to get someone on a 10 day, heading right to the all-star break. That just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but, you know, when I think about who they're playing coming out of the break, they got, I think, two with Chicago, one with Toronto. Um, they got Milwaukee, you know, a little, like, game six or seven, somewhere in that yep. range. Uh, but especially this, those Chicago matchups, you're going to need Hunter on either DeRozan or Levine that whole game, and you're not yep. going to want to play him at the four. So I, I don't, I'm not sure what they're going to they're gonna do in that situation, but in my mind, as I kind of look at, uh, the schedule coming out of the break, getting more hunter minutes at the four doesn't seem that um, that reasonable uh, to me right now. So there, there's a massive uh, hole there. I don't know if they can go out and kind of find a veteran that's available that they could kind of slide in that they would trust or not. Um, right now, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm as you know me. I'm a happy, kind of optimistic person. I don't see the. I don't see the solution that makes you feel great right now. If no, JC, JC not, not without a couple weeks, right? Well, yeah, it's and that's the thing. Like, I can maybe recommend things, or but yeah, it has to be noted that there are no great solutions if Collins right. were to miss more time. And again, I'm not saying he's going to, but they were as vague as they possibly could have been about that about their update. So who knows? But you know, I think Knox has. Uh, a reasonably high floor on defense just because he has been around for a long time. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic. He's not great, but he's in uh, what, and when the time that he's played for the Hawks this season, you may, I think you may agree or may not, may not. I think he's been fine on defense, if not better than that. For sure. It's the, it's the offense. And, but, you know, knowing Nate, he might just default to not, you know, he might just default to like, look, we'll let, we'll let other guys carry the offense. If I could just put somebody out there that can guard somebody, he might do that. Um, you know, also this, you would think post a break, quote unquote, that it would be a good time to go to Jalen Johnson, but they're not practicing. It's not like they're practicing this week. It'd be different if they had a, a, an eight day window to practice and then you go to Jalen Johnson. That would actually make a lot of sense in some ways, but they're only going to have a practice or two before this, before they restart again. It's like they, these guys are all on vacation right now or they're in Cleveland, one of the two. So 
yeah, there's no great solutions. I, I do wonder, like, let's just say against Milwaukee, maybe they try Kongo with the four. Um, maybe they do it against somebody else. Um, he's kind of flirted with it twice now in public sentiment. And I, I always, after the first time, I made sure, and I wasn't trying to pour water on it, but I was like, guys, he said that he said this the other day too, and he didn't do it. So I think it has to be a very particular matchup. And it's because of the offense, not the defense. That's kind of right. a misconception people have. Nate's not worried about playing a Kongwu and Capella together on defense because a Kongwu is a monster on defense. He can fly around the perimeter, have Capella do what he does. It's the offense. It's having those two non-shooters out there. And yeah, maybe you get away with it if you're playing Trey, Herter, and Bogdanovich and you have all this shooting on the perimeter. But if you try to play those guys with DeLon Wright or try to play those guys with you know whoever, it's not the greatest offensive setup if you have those two guys. And I think eventually Okongwu will be able to shoot, but he can't, he can't now. So you have these two guys and one of them's going to be in the dunker spot. It's just not ideal. So I think he might have to try it at some point just to, just because there's not another option. And of course the best case scenario is Collins plays on Thursday and this is, this is all moot, but I, uh, I'm a little worried. I would say in particular, the Milwaukee matchup and Chicago, you mentioned the Chicago matchup. I totally agree with you. Like Toronto, you can get away with it. You, you've kind of seen it before. They, they play so, not small, but they play so flat. Like they have all these six, eight guys. It's not the worst time in the world to be playing Hunter at the four. He can guard Siakam and do what he does. But against Levine and DeRozan, like you could hurt, you could probably put Hunter on Levine and Hunter on DeRozan, but then you have some other issues on the back line. So uh, I'm sure this doesn't make people feel any better, Glenn, to be honest with you. But it's not a great yeah. situation without Collins. And that's why, and this, this isn't always why Collins is valuable, but. It is a reminder, let's just say, of how much they need him in the current iteration because you're talking about guys like off the street to come in and help you. Like, yeah, I think Wes Wundu might actually help them, but he's more of a three anyway. He's not this huge, sure. like, power forward size guy. Like, he's he's familiar. He's been around. But the buyout market, you know, pick your guy. Number one, they have to want to come to Atlanta. And, 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 Atlanta, and by the way, an Atlanta team that's under 500. We might think, of, we might think of more of the Hawks than, than that, but the reality is – at the all-star break for 28 and 30. And if you're player X and you have other offers, you may not want to choose the Hawks. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not the most rosy segment in the world, but I'm a little right. worried if Collins can't play just for obvious reasons. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I feel, I feel like I have to say, like, I, I'm not sure what TLC status is because he plays played some four earlier in the year. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like Knox, is ahead of TLC in the pecking order right. if they go if they go deeper into the bench because you know right. TLC's not a four either. I think we know this, but just to right. be clear, he's not a four. He's really a combo two three. He's not the biggest guy in the world. It's just that he's a vet, and Nate would trust him more to execute than other guys. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, t- totally agreed. And uh, you know, I I don't know if Knox has been ahead of TLC because Knox is new and they just kind of kind of see what they have. Um, maybe you know <laughs> if if they have a chance to add a add two bodies, for example, to, that they think can help on the stretch drive. I think they've had to figure out, uh, is Knox worth, you know, uh, the roster spot he has. Or There's not. some evaluation he, there for sure. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that they ha- have an idea of what they have in TLC there. He got plenty of run earlier in the season. So that's the thing, but yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if a guy like, like Wyndham Gabriel could, you know, kind of, kind of come in and help them at that spot. He's bigger than a moon do. He's an actual four, uh, he has some size there, and he has a, a decent amount of experience. There's a you know a few other guys kind of bouncing around uh, like that, but he's the one that kind of jumps out to me is, uh, is he, can... he's with he's with Wisconsin right now in the G League. I think it, I'm looking this up now as we're talking, but yes, uh, that I sounds agree. right. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he, he's he's an he's an NBA player that's a power forward. 
which is he he is um, and he he can do i mean I think most importantly to me is he can do the things that the hawks need their power forwards to do he can move he can do some make an impact inside he can work just like jc has to do sometimes rush out and close out on a stretch four and he has that length and kind of enough strength and size inside and enough athletic ability to kind of get out there and he's I like a, I think a 37% three point shooter in his career. Obviously, there's not a not a million shots, you know. Mm-hmm. But I've seen him play multiple years in, in summer league, and he looks like a guy who I would trust to put up corner threes if the other team's just going to completely ignore him. So we probably already spent too much time on him because we have no idea <laughs> if there's any mutual interest there at all. But that's the kind of guy that they could possibly get on a ten day, you know, depending on how he would feel about that and stuff. So, but we'll. we'll We'll have to see if they're not going to go that direction coming out of the break. There might be a shift. Like we might see more TLC. They might have decided, okay, we've seen enough of Knox that we're going to go in a different direction. Um, but but it, it's tricky. It, it's really uh, tricky. And I, and I, I another impact is that playing Gallo as a starter really kind of reshuffles your second unit offense a, a decent amount too. So you're giving some things back elsewhere too when you kind of kind of make that shift. So. It's it it's tough. Um, you know, I I have a hard time imagining what Capella plus a Kongu on offense would look like uh, in terms of what the Hawks do. Um, it, they might be able to find uh, enough things to kind of give them four minutes a half, which which could be really valuable if they could find a way to kind of kind of make that work. Um, but the fact that neither of them are are shooters at all, just like you said a few minutes ago, you know that that's pretty. Pretty tricky. Um, so you can I, uh, muck it up there a little bit if you want to. Just try, try to try to play really slow. Like there was a time uh, when they were maybe even under Lloyd, where it was very obvious that they were just trying to play as slow as humanly possible when Trey, when Trey left the floor because they, they knew they couldn't score. Right. And it was it would almost be like that again, where like you're almost tempted to just like put the lawn put the lawn out there with them too, and just like kind of just grind the game to an absolute halt, try to get stops and just escape dead even i don't know i don't know what you do there with those two guys but it'd be interesting that's for sure um i have more positive things to ask you about in a second but first one more word to hear from our sponsors this is usually the time of year where I pretty much give up on all my resolutions for the new year but this year i'm sticking my resolution to eat right with a hat tip to built bar honestly it feels like it's not really a resolution anymore because i enjoy eating built bars from the proteins protein infused puff bars they're fantastic to all the other fan favorites from built bar each and every built bar is covered 100 real chocolate which makes a huge difference and they taste fantastic on top of the taste though built bar or built bars have low calorie counts and they have high protein and you can easily replace your candy bars built bars both in taste and to improve your nutrition if you go to built.com check out the nutrition page you'll be blown away but most built bars containing only four grams of sugar four net carbs and 17 grams of protein with a low calorie count in terms of flavor built bar has some of the favorites like coconut almond and mint brown and also a new flavor this month and it's white chocolate cookies and cream which is absolutely fantastic each flavor is delicious and they have new flavors coming all the time the best way to check out built bar though is to check out built built.com and use promo code locked 15 if you do that you get 15 percent off your order with built bar that is promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com all right glenn i want to ask you about a more positive story and that is bogdanovich's uh bounce back development here uh, he's been back since January 26th, so only like three weeks or so of of, uh, of basketball. But he's averaging 16, four and four in about 29 minutes a game. His shooting is back up to where it was, not quite the second half of last year when it was absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> like when he shot 50 percent from three. But uh, basically, what I what I would say is that he's back to his back to his old self. 
not necessarily all the way to all-star bogey from the second half of last season, but back to what you would think you're going to get from Magdalene, which is what I, is, is the way that I've been saying it. First, do you agree with that? And second, like how big is it to have him with more juice? Because I think he's clearly about a different player since he came back. Yeah, I, I think it's massive. And especially if he's embracing playing on the second unit, if that's the direction they continue to go. Um, I I think kind of, you know, setting aside even his wonderful shooting and the self-creation that he's kind of been demonstrating in recent, um, I think he's been leading by example. Like I, even on defense, like when you see a guy on time helping at the nail, showing up with a dig, stunting help down into you know some of the he's been the I think the most consistently active and helpful defender even if you know he's not the most naturally gifted guy uh you know on that end we know he's he's kind of strong and he has good solid size for the position but just in terms of his ability to kind of change directions and move laterally and things like that so I've been appreciative of what he's kind of just shown as uh, a guy demonstrating effort habits engagement communication on the defensive end as well, he's been impactful on that end more than the, what you'd normally expect. On offense, to take shots, his ability to kind of use a single dribble, whether he's, you know, they've ran more, for example, more floppy the last couple of games, which is good. I think that's better for both, for all, for all of Hunter, Herder, and McDonovich, especially McDonovich, and that's helped them get to some of his shots more. So um, the Hawks, some of their uglier fourth quarter stretches have been when they can't get a bucket because they know they can't just go get a stop whenever they're not good enough on defense to go. We're just going to go get a stop. They have to, you know, play their best and, uh, and still kind of hope for a missed shot or, or what have you. But every shot like in the fourth quarter, Bogdanovich makes, I think is just alleviate so much pressure from them and where they're, how they're playing in other areas. And I just think it's just, just massive. And, um, if he were still playing the way he was playing either just the last few games before or the last few games after coming off of that break for the, the knee issue, I would be really worried about the Hawks trying to finish in that 7-8 spot so they at least have a little more favorable you know, kind of spot in the play and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he, he really has brought a lot recently, and if he can bring that the rest of the way, I think that's going to help them you know, be a truly kind of top three offense in the league uh, which makes, if you know, if they get to 19th, 20th on defense the rest of the way, uh, that should set them up to win a lot of games. If they didn't have that, it, I, I think it would just be that much more pressure on Trey, that much more pressure on every shot someone takes from the three-point line of the fourth quarter. And you could tell when teams are feeling that, you know, that Bogey has taken a lot of pressure off of them with the way he's played recently. And it's, it's been a, a, a massive difference to me. Totally agree. And I think that um... – we we could we won't do this the whole thing again, but um, having having to start Gallo, it, it's a little bit easier when Bogey's on second unit and kind of right. leading that crew offensively. Like yeah, Lou's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot too when he's playing, but Bogey having more juice helps you helps you when you have to start Gallo because like you said before, they have to alternate the rotation. Gallo is the source of their offense on the second unit a lot, and having Bogey there and being comfortable there and being aggressive there really helps you. And then at the end of the games, like you just said, like a lot of times for better or worse, it's if Trey doesn't have it at the end of games, they get really bogged down. And that's very, it's a very obvious statement. And that's not, it's not on Trey. It's just that when he doesn't have it and that's not more, more times than not, he does. That, that's the that's the positive thing is that he's really good, but we, but he's not in, in a groove and teams are focused on him and he is smartly going to give the ball up a little bit. 
you need other guys to be able to take advantage of that. And Bogey, um, I would say, is probably the most aggressive offensive player on the team outside of Trey in terms of hunting his own. And sure. you need that sometimes. Like you, you know, for all the talk, and we've 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 all done it. You've done it. I've done it. Long term stuff, especially like the Hawks need a number two shot creator is like the, one of those very popular things. And Bogey's not a star like that. But if it comes down to it, and you can't, if the answer is not Trey, Bogey's probably the second guy that's going to go get you a bucket at the end of a game on the perimeter. That's just that's the reality of the situation. Like Herder can do it for sure. Um, if Lou's playing, he could do it too. But you want to play Lou and Trey together necessarily. Collins has some stuff and mismatches. Gallo, same thing. But if it's just like simply put, it's probably Bogey if he's got it, and it helps. It just helps the team overall offensively when he is playing well. And on defense, like I think we all noticed this, but he was really bad defensively early in the season. Like he was pr- pretty limited. And I've defended Bogey's defense in the past. I think he was, you know, he gets a bad rap on some on, on some respects defensively. But his early season performance this year on defense was a big problem as well. And he's been better there. He's not, in my mind, been fantastic still, but he's been different in a positive way from early the season to the last couple of weeks on defense. And that, that helps you too, because you have to be able to try to alleviate those mistakes on that end of the floor and to play him, which you need to do on offense. He's got to hold up on defense because especially if you're trying to play that Herder, Bogdanovich, Trey lineup on the perimeter, which is your best offensive lineup, you got to stop somebody at some point. And Herder's been fine defensively, but he's not like he's not a, he's not an elite guy. Trey is Trey, so Bogey just being okay is a big boost there. Yeah, agreed. And I, you know, I feel like it's important for me to say that when when Herder is at it the point in his career that bogey is now, I think Herder will be a similar kind of player, more reliable yeah. as a creator, things like that. Bogey is just so experienced, you know I mean? I, I know it's only his I think, fifth season in the league, but he has so much international but, experience. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> he's a vet. He's a vet for a fifth year guy, for sure. He's a yeah. vet, more established. And he's played in a lot of, you know, pressure pack situations and international play and, and things like that. So that, you know, he certainly leans on that. And then I would also say, with Bogey on the second unit, the mon- the minutes he has when he's playing with the Kongu, he's probably the best uh, helper in the rebounding category of the wings that they have too. He's just really attentive to when like Capella or Kongu has to step up and challenge a shot. He comes down and will help kind of at least take a body, try to find somebody to box out and, and use his, his strength and what size he has to kind of, kind of help rebound. Uh, and that's big, especially when a Kongu is on. Uh, yeah. And then when you when you don't have JC to pair there, um, and, and Gallo is you know struggles as a rebounder against athletic te- <laughs> athletic teams, yes, especially um, having that is it makes a difference, uh, and uh, and it's it's you know pretty big, and especially when you're now we're kind of like re re unpacking everything, but like especially when you have difficulty at the point of attack that's going to draw the center into more shot contesting and helping on the ball handler. You need those wings to kind of be able to kind of step, step, you know, pinch down and help on the blocks kind of rebound. And, and Bogey is just more focused, uh, prioritizes it more, or it's just capable of kind of seeing what is needed from him more than the others. And, you know, like a, the, uh, aside from the foul issues that Congo has, the rebounding is the biggest, you know, kind of challenge area that they have when he's at the five. And, and so, with Bogdanovich having minutes with him, that that makes it, um, I think, more realistic they're going to hold up in that area. I think. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, I'm not going to do this segment now, but we could we could 
sort of flog DeAndre Hunter for not rebounding because he's going to have to get better at that too because uh, he's right. the guy you would imagine of the wings that would be eventually a good rebounder, but he's really not. Like, Bogey's a better rebounder than him right now. In fact, I would go as far as to say DeLon Wright is their best perimeter rebounder uh, pretty clearly, I think, uh, which is – I mean, DeLon Wright plays point guard sometimes. <laughs> he's probably their best right. rebounder on the perimeter. So Yeah, um, it's, it's funny to think back to, like, Last year, Herter was really good in that area, and yeah, yeah. But I, but I think a lot of a lot of the inconsistency in those areas comes down to so many different roles. Like I was gonna before say, the Cam stuff. trade, when Cam was available, when Cam wasn't available, when Hunter was available, when Hunter wasn't available. There's been so much shifting and things like that because, like last year, Hunter was a great rebounder. He, I, you know, I know I put this on Twitter, but I think only three players in the playoffs last year had more block shots than Herter had. He know? was flying. Yeah, you're uh, right. It was crazy. It, and so, and I, I think we've seen only little bits of that this year, not the consistency he brought in the postseason last year. And if I had to kind of try to form maybe an educated guess around that, it's all the different roles he's been in, and they're starting lineup on the second unit, defending the other team's primary. Now Hunter's back. You're kind of in a supporting role, and for I think Herder's uh, still a pretty young player. I think it's hard to kind of bring a consistent visualization of how you're going to impact the game on defense game to game when, when it feels like it's different every week to week, if not game to game in some cases. Game to game. That's, that's, yeah. that's challenging. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, you know, we'll, we'll leave it, we'll leave this topic, but I think also for Herder in particular, uh, when Hunter is not out there or when Hunter is unavailable or whatever, him having to be the unquestioned number one on the perimeter on defense uh, is it just? A, it's a tough ask for him. Like, we both think he's pretty solid on defense. He's not a bad defender, but right. he'll look like one if he's if he's got to guard Jason Tatum. He's not going to look like he's a good defender because Jason right. Tatum is two inches bigger and forty pounds heavier, and like it's not going to work. Or if you're having Kevin Herter guard Darius Garland, like he's going to look bad because Darius Garland is really good, and it's a t- it's a tough assignment for Herter. But if he's right. more more appropriately assigned to being the number two or number three guy. I mean, probably number two for the Hawks on the perimeter. He looks a lot more responsible and solid, and that's that's what he actually is. It's the problem is when you have to when you're asking to be the number one stopper on the perimeter. That's not that's where you get yourself in trouble. So yeah, and I mean, I know you know this, but the best NBA teams have roster have constructions <laughs> that puts that puts guys into yeah. roles that are that set them up for success. When you when you're in a situation where you're constantly trying to kind of scatter and move guys into other roles because of injuries or whatever the situation is, it is hard. But um, it's, it's kind of funny to think about how, how we were all touting the depth of the roster coming into the season, and not, which is which was which was I think you know not baseless. But now we're seeing like it, I mean the depth you have to have not just in terms of talent and competent rotational players but guys that can step up into a specific role when there's that gap, the Hawks don't have that right now in terms of like the, at, at the wing positions on defense, the way that they need to. And it's, it's really, you know, holding, holding them back. So um, it, they're not going to be able to obviously make a trade this year. So, you know, <laughs> any kind of, any kind of change will be sort of in the margins, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I, I presume we'll be talking about this, toward, you know, whenever their season ends, about what what they need. Oh to yeah, French year and that's put a pen in that one, sure. as they say, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's gonna happen, and yeah, I still I still think coming into the season, it was totally reasonable to say the Hawks had good depth because agreed. 
especially when you think about like they had, like, you know, they, they had cam who they were begging on to be better than he was. And then that didn't work out all that stuff. But, and then yet, yes, they brought in a player to replace him and Kevin Knox in the trade, but not the same thing uh, in terms of like what they were hoping for from cam this year. And then you throw in the other injuries and stuff. And like, that's how you get your rotation, not looking so deep. I mean, right, yeah. If Solomon Hill hadn't gotten hurt. Exactly. I mean, if, he would be if they had Solomon right Hill right now, now exactly. Yes. Right. If they had Solomon Hill, and that it sounds crazy, but because it's me and you, Glenn, this this is an appropriate topic for us. But <laughs> if Solomon Hill was on this team, he would have been playing considerable minutes for a large portion of this season. When Hunter was out, he would have played 20 minutes a night. When JC was out the last few games, he would have been playing 20 minutes a night. And that would have helped them. Solomon Hill's not a star. Even you and I would, are, not, are not calling him a star. But no. he would have been very, very, very useful. And a guy that when we talked about earlier without Collins, it would have been, the answer would have been they're going to play Solomon Hill 20 minutes a game or 25 minutes a game. Right. And now they don't and, have and, that guy. And, and I'll remind uh, you know, listeners uh, and viewers, I guess um, ah. he played, a, he played a ton last year. He played yeah. a ton. He played way more than they wanted him to play, which is, I mean, that happens sometimes, but even we are two members of the Solomon Hill fan club. He played a lot more than he was supposed to play last year. Right. But having that malleability and that guy that Nate trusted and the guy that will just guard, that gives you some some floor. Him and I mean Tony Snell, Tony Snell was the same. I mean not not always the same thing. And Solomon Solomon Hill played a lot more. But having two of those guys who they trusted to just go out and not kill them, it's not a small thing, man. It, it, I mean it matters. Like right. they don't have that now. Right, and, and and this is an opportunity I think to kind of highlight too that I think I think a lot of fans maybe struggle understandably with like. If you could go get like a Cam Reddish type, say you know as a, you know a restricted free agent on a, a modest deal, you know in the future, or a guy who could be you know you get for a modest trade or whatever, or you could put a Tony Snell or a <laughs> Solomon Hill on your team. Like, why would you even think about it? And the reality is, is that when you get Solomon Hill and Tony Snell, you have guys that if they don't play for a month, they're fine. They're not going to yeah. create any issues at all whatsoever they know what they are you know they they know what they bring to their team they they know that they're going to at times be asked to to play when there's an injury or foul issues or you know back to back or whatever and other times they may go a long time before they see rotational minutes a guy like cam reddish or and i don't want to just pick on cam but other guys like that in the league who are still trying to get established who are trying to earn their first really big payday in the league are going to see that situation differently and i think that's understandable and i get it you know but like why would you want why do teams want to go out and get these quote veteran retreads it's because these guys are professional they do all the basic things competently and if they don't play they're going to be professional they're still going to show up work hard contribute to the team root their guys on help their guys and that makes a big difference uh, across the season where say a third year guy who's kind of been bouncing around is going to come in and, and think i need to play and 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 he's not wrong. <laughs> so yeah, it's just no, it's true. just a it's a differentiation that I think sometimes gets lost in conversations about what teams do with their 13, 14, 15th roster spot. No, you're right. And uh one one funny update on the Tony Snell front, he still has not missed a free throw. Just, just for the record. I know Hawks fans probably have stopped following Tony Snell, but he's not missed a free throw in three years, which is just insane. Um all right, before I let you get out of here, Glenn, I, I have to ask you, you sort of got into it a little bit earlier about the uh the upcoming schedule, but it's kind of dicey the next couple of weeks. Um, right. They only have two home games in the first seven. Uh, they go to Chicago on Thursday. Then they have Toronto at home, and Toronto just beat them twice. 
They go back to Boston. That's a tough game, obviously. And then Chicago at home again. Uh, after that, they have two pretty winnable road games in Washington and Detroit, but they're still road games. And they go to and then they go to Milwaukee. So they'll probably be favored in I would say maybe three out of the next seven games. Um, that doesn't matter necessarily, quote unquote matter, but it does kind of outline how difficult that little run is. And as we discussed earlier, the margin for error is extremely small for this team now. Um, I guess I'll say this. I mean, what are you looking for as they come out of the break? And we talked about Collins not being there or whatever, but just broadly speaking and just the schedule because they got to start stacking wins. That's the reality. Like they know it. They've talked about it. But the slow start dug them a hole that no matter what the metrics say, no matter what you and I think about their team quality, they have to start winning and winning now. Yeah, to, to me, it starts with giving yourself a chance to win every game. So not showing up for any game and not having good habits on defense and not being invested in kind of, you know, um, getting back, walling off and said transition. I could give you a whole list of kind of things that they do. <laughs> and they haven't done that enough consistently. And so to me, it kind of starts with that. If you're going to you know, give yourself a chance to win, you know, one or both of those Chicago games, it's going to be being as to produce enough offense as a top and be able to do that. So, but if you're um, getting distracted by the officiating, as Nate as Nate will talk about, um, and I'm guilty. I, I get uh, distracted by the officiating a lot. <laughs> I see, it's like I see that in Slack sometimes too, <laughs> and it's on Twitter on Twitter as well. Yeah, uh, and stuff. But um, but it really is kind of starts with like giving yourself a chance by doing all the fundamental things on defense that you need to do. Um, and then um, not allowing another team to kind of draw you into that slow attack of the mismatch um, as I call it. it. But it really is about get, kind of give yourself a chance to win. If they split with Chicago, I think that's a good outcome for them. Yeah. That Toronto game to me is massive because if they have any shot of getting to six, they're going to have to get past Toronto to get there. Um, uh, and I know that Toronto's not in the top six right now, so I'm not, I'm not, yeah, they're, they're actually, they're only a half game out. They're only a half game out there. They're, they're seventh. And that's one of the things I've been stressing too, is like, it's easy to look at like, okay, right now, Boston is number six and the Hawks are five games behind Boston, but you have to remember they have to climb over three more teams before they get to Boston. It's not like you have to just beat one team. And that's why it's so unlikely. If you look at the models that the Hawks would be in the top six is that even if they went out and went, I don't know, 19 and five, in the last 24 games, that might not be enough because you got four teams ahead of you. And if somebody else goes 17 and seven, you don't, you don't get, you don't get there. Right. And and I haven't done the math, but 19 and it's five tough. gets you to like, <laughs> like 50, 50. I, you know, I don't know, probably something like that. For the right? top six. Yeah. I mean, I think it would almost be probably worse than that. I mean, yeah. there's a reason I think basketball reference. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. They have the Hawks with a 1.9% chance to get in the top six. And I think it's probably higher than that, but it's not more than 10%. I can tell you that right now. And that's with someone who I'm, I'm high on the Hawks, what they can do. But yeah, like even if you assume they go on a run that they have not flashed this season, like 19 and five right. is not a run that they've showed that they can have this season so far. Even if they right. did that, I would pick them to probably not make the top six, which is crazy, but that, that's, you're behind four teams. So you're behind, you're behind five teams. You got to pass a bunch of teams. Yeah, yeah, a team ahead of them is going to have to run into some real difficulty that more difficulty than you would kind of expect. Like, I think Toronto is a solid team, but you know, as Kevin They're and I good. talked about on uh, Kevin's podcast, our podcast, I guess he wants me to call it. Um, who's who's but, Kevin? 
I know. Um, but they, they're playing like seven guys, you know. So, yeah. you know, and now Fred Van Vliet has hurt. You wonder if like all the minutes have it kind of factored into that hamstring issue he has now and stuff. So you, there are – and I'm not wishing for – I don't ever wish for no. anyone to fail. That's just not a thing I do. But if you're trying to look at what could happen, you know, knock on wood, I don't want Embiid to get hurt. He's having an, an, a, just an amazing season. I want to keep watching that. Um, it how he and Harden integrate, you know, uh, but could Philly fall that far? That seems pretty unlikely. Right? I mean, it's seven, it's seven games. Right. And that's, uh, yeah. I mean, l- let's say just for the heck of it, they, they hit an obstacle, whether it be an, an immediate injury or a Harden injury or whatever, you're seven games back with 24 to play. Like right. it's really hard to say that's going to be overcomable. So I think the clearest path for the Hawks um, and I wonder if you agree, is basically to get to the eight spot. That's what you want to do at this point. That's right. my that'd be more, my more realistic goal. We get to eight, avoid that nine ten game. Um, but even by the way, sneakily, even then, getting to eight is pretty difficult, especially if Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant and is playing, because right. the Nets are eight right now. They're two and a half games ahead of the Hawks uh, without Durant, as we've seen the last month they're pretty bad without durant to be honest with you uh but then if you throw in durant and whatever you get for ben simmons that's a whole other thing that we won't do now but if they have durant they're they're the favorite over the hawks with a two and a half game lead right uh and then i i would pick the hawks to finish ahead of charlotte but they're tied with the hornets right now i would have the hawks in that head-to-head but that'll, that'll only get you to nine and nine's better than ten but right. you still got to win. You still, you still got to win twice to get in the playoffs. You, you, you do. So I, I would think that the way they talk about it is we're still aiming for six. We're going to set our sights high. They have we're going to have a kind of a, have that. Stre- I would call it a stretch goal at this point. They may not use that word. <laughs> sure. Um, but still, it, like if somebody, if the door opens, we're getting in. You know, we're going to yeah. play well enough. We're going to play hard enough, and we're going to play with all the focus and in the fundamentals that we need to get there. If the door opens, and if we fall short, then you know, we're going to land seventh, eighth. That's advantageous, you know, for us if we're in the play in to land in one of those two spots. Um, and that's just how it's going to go. You know, zooming out. You hope that there's a lesson for this still, you know, fairly young team that, you know, you got to take and just listen to Clint. Like, we can't take games for granted. You know, we can't just assume we're going to be in the playoffs. We're not going to, you know, you, you just can't do those things. Bogey, Clint, Bogey said it too. Bogey said it too. The, yeah. the veterans, the, the the guys who have been through more stuff have I've been, I've been saying it all year. Bogey said it in training camp. You remember this? Bogey, Bogey came out in training camp and was like, we got to forget we were in the playoffs last year. And people were like, right. wait, what? And he's like, it doesn't matter anymore. And he was right, but they clearly didn't buy into that necessarily, at least, at least yeah. not top to bottom. And then Clint, I mean, I, I still think it's a, a huge factor that Clint was in Houston when they went from kind of trying to be really relevant to becoming really relevant and seeing that, um, you know, one of the factors of what they did was the professionalism and the the focus game in, game out of what those veterans in Houston always brought, you know, Trey doesn't have the experience that Capella brings. Trey doesn't have the experience that Bogey brings. And Trey being the best player, you know, he's going to kind of set the example and be the de facto leader to a degree. But I I hope that kind of the team consciousness is pulling in those experiences, those real lived experiences that those like guys like Capella and Bogey have and start realizing like, uh, you know, a random Thursday game order was against the Spurs. We got to go in and play hard and we got to go in yeah, they, and they can't deserve. lose a game. That was, I mean, no. you know me, I am not the guy that's like, 
banging on the table about how this is a, I don't, I don't use the word must win in, in the regular season really ever. And I was like, all right, this is the one they got to get. I mean, look at just going through the schedule and the standings. It's like, and to come out and lose that game, how they did. I mean, they were down 20 out of the gate and trailed the whole way and never really got close. And it was like, man, it's just one game. It's one out of 82, which if you're taking a big picture approach, which I kind of do, I would downplay the severity of that performance. But given what they had done to that point, to come out and lose that one at home the way they did was not a good result, let's just say. So, like, yeah, I don't want to go crazy with it, but that's a, that's a good example. And, yeah, the Spurs played great. They made they made a bunch of shots. Credit to them. But that's one you got to circle at the end of the season and be like, man, that's what we, we needed to get. Yeah, and they look. That's when they looked like a team that came in like in third gear, telling themselves, "If we need to get it to fourth gear, we'll put it in fourth gear." And all of a sudden, you're down twenty, twenty-two points, and you're like, "Do we need to get to fifth gear?" <laughs> you know, well, they, like, had, no. they had just they had just they had just waxed Indiana too earlier in the week. They had two they had two days off. They're and they're looking at the Spurs. They had just made a trade. They don't have Derek White. They're looking at this team like, "All right, we we just killed the Pacers." And I would say to the Hawks' credit, that Pacers game could have been a look ahead spot because that Pacers right. team was not was that was a G League team that night. For sure. And to the Hawks credit, they came out from the opening bell and just put them away. And that was that was good. And then they didn't do it they didn't do it the second time. And it was and, and the Spurs were better than that Pacers team were, but they were eight point favorites for whatever it was nine point favorites in that game. And it's like, all right, you got to show up and win. Play yeah. well. Yeah. So anyway, you know, no, uh, to to hit the mark the rest of the way in, no more efforts like that. I mean, you can't do you it. know, we, we've talked about the fact that the first game after the trade deadline is often a mulligan. Well, you know what? You'd use, what, five mulligans before the point of the season? So there, there's a bunch of, of games. Yeah, you're there's a mulligans. bunch of games. Not, not, I won't go through the entire schedule, but I'm just going to name a few games that are basically spots where the Hawks, I never use must win, but need to win. Uh, when they go to Detroit with two days rest on March 7th, it's a road game, but it's the Pistons. That's one you got to win. Indiana at home again on the 13th of March. That's a game you got to win. Um, they go back to Detroit in March. That's the game you got to win. Indiana again. Oklahoma City on the road. Those are games that you cannot afford to lose. Houston in the season finale. It's on the road, but those are teams that are not maybe not necessarily taking all of them, but they're all rebuilding. Just to be kind, those are games that when you're when you need to go, you know, 18 and six down the stretch to really do what you want to do, you cannot lose those games. Yeah, and just go ask Boston how if you have to take Detroit seriously. They were up eight with like four minutes to go, and just I missed it. I was recording a podcast, and I, I turned I turned it on. I was like, wait, they lost? I'm like, okay, yeah, I yeah, I, wa- I watched that. I've been I've been watching more Celtics lately because I'm really fascinated to kind of see where their season goes from here. Um, but Detroit just kept playing hard and just would not they go play hard. Away. Kay doesn't quit and, either. Kay plays hard. Yeah, and Jeremy Grant was uh, yeah. absolute like monster down the stretch there. Sadiq Bay made a you know a big shot, and so you know you want to treat the the Pistons kind of like you did that Spurs game. You're gonna you know so Hawks fans might laugh, haha. The Pistons, no, you you might find yourself in a tie game with three minutes to go. You it's know, a it's, road game too. Like I even said about Orlando, like Orlando's not very good, and the Hawks beat them convincingly as they should. But any road game in the NBA, you can lose if you don't show up. You can lose. Right. There's nobody that's that bad. This is there's no process Sixers this year. I thought the Thunder might be that bad coming into the season, and they're not. They, they play good defense. They play hard. Like they're not good, but they can beat you if you don't show up. And Detroit's a good example of that too. Orlando may be the worst team in the league at the moment, and even they have real talent. Like they're starting five. It's they got some talent on that team. So right. you can't sleepwalk. You can't take shortcuts. You gotta you gotta 
do the stuff that you should bring every game, the fundamentals, the basics, all that stuff has to show up. You can't opt that stuff in halfway through the second quarter when you're down 12 <laughs> points. You know, not that's so not how the NBA works. And no. that's how that's they that's how they've been playing. You know, too much of the seasons, that stuff's got to stop. And then maybe we'll have another kind of fun (laughs) ascension from this team towards the end of the season. We'll see. I think the, I think you and I kind of agree that the capacity is there, but we'll see if they do the necessary things to put them in position to potentially do that again. Definitely. They are capable of making the run that they need to make. It's just that we'll see if they actually do it. Uh, Glenn, I really, really, really appreciate you joining me on video for this foray into the new world that I now have to live in with YouTube. And also on the audio side, people listening to the podcast may not, may not care about the video side, and that's okay. But uh, thank you for doing this. Where can people find your work? I know you are, are always hard at work covering the Hawks. Yeah, I, uh, the writing I do, P3 Hoops, um, I tend to do one of the follows each weekend uh, as much as I can um, and, and such. And, you know, a couple times a month, I'll, I'll put out some sort of uh, content that's not related to a specific game. And then on Twitter at Willis underscore Glenn, I, I tend to do some amount of breakdown after every Hawks game um, there, um, you know, in the range of 12 to 14 plays or something like that um and such so that that's where to, to kind of find my content um i enjoy conversations on twitter i know not everyone kind of replies to everything that comes at them if uh you know as long as it's is uh it's not just like an outlier ridiculous <laughs> take i'll converse with you so just you know sure jump in and uh let's enjoy a conversation if, if you're up for that no, absolutely. And uh, my strongest recommendation for both following Glenn, reading Glenn, checking out his breakdowns, I learn from Glenn. I'm not ashamed to say that. I say that all the time. Uh, when I was working with you directly at Peace Groups, and I'm still on that Slack channel, we talk all the time. And I uh, I appreciate all of your uh, all of your work as well. But yeah, I would say that even if I wasn't on this podcast. So thank you for joining me, and thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be the guinea pig here. <laughs> I appreciate that too. As for everybody else, uh, please subscribe. If you are uh, watching this on YouTube, which is a, a crazy thing to say, please subscribe on the YouTube channel. Even if you're not a huge YouTube consumer, if you're listening to this podcast on the audio feed, it would help me greatly if you subscribe on the YouTube channel. I've been told by the higher ups that that is a big indicator. So that subscribe button is very important. Like the show as well. And also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. I do appreciate it. Please follow Glenn, follow me if you want to, and we'll see you next time.